Welcome to the Digital Forester podcast, where we talk to foresters about how they are using digital technologies in their day-to-day forestry work. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Digital Forester podcast. So today I am joined by Keiki Worthington, who's the Vice President of Carbon Operations, and Zach Pardue, who's the Manager of Forest Information and Geospatial Systems at ANU. How are the two of you doing today? Good. Thanks for having us on, Kevin. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Good stuff. Good stuff. So I'm I'm kind of joking because I know you're you're in the south. We were talking earlier. Uh, you know, well, relatively southern than where I am. So I'm rocking the snowy background, and, and and this might be nightmare for you, I suppose, if you got this much snow in your neck of the woods. And um, but definitely, uh, you know, winter up here, and we're almost into that Christmas uh, Christmas period. So definitely appreciate both of you carving out some time. I know as we talk today, there's a lot a lot happening with uh, with you and and your company. So um, definitely busy times, but I appreciate you you joining me so maybe to start off i'll start with uh keiki in terms of maybe uh, you know looking at your background environmental sciences studies and then you're in there's some forestry master's degree um you know u.s south and i think a stint in san fran moved around but maybe tell our listeners and viewers how you 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 got into that environment and forestry space was there like a family tug or just like an outdoors interest ever since you were young how how did you get into the space yeah absolutely so i i grew up in the midwest in a very uh, agricultural sort of region where there wasn't as you know abundant of a of a forest resource and i i think when i was really little i enjoyed going to our our local parks and i recall a trip to the smoky mountains at one point and just really enjoying the the sort of Blue Ridge forested environment. Um, I was always interested in natural sciences and earth sciences. I was the the kid turning over rocks, looking for bugs and things like that. Um, and when I when I went to to undergrad, I was interested in biology and ecosystems and uh, wildlife and and how things grow together and systems. And I ended up getting involved with land conservation and a land trust uh, while I was in school and then shortly afterwards, really learning about sort of uh, private sector conservation and how funding in the conservation space can really create a lot of, of conservation outcomes. So when I was working for the land trust in North Carolina, there was a tax credit program that was incentivizing landowners to do no development easements on their forests and their lands. And that kind of drove me into graduate school where I got a master's in forestry and environmental management at Duke and was really kind of seeking, how can I do more in the ecosystem service market space? How can I use private sector funding to really create some huge outcomes uh, for the environment. And that, uh, you know, through learning more about forestry in the forest space and other ecosystem service markets available, I kind of fell into forest carbon. Um, it, at the time, the, the compliance market was only, was pretty new from the California compliance space and the voluntary market for, I would say, modern forest carbon voluntary market, uh, not thinking about Chicago climate exchange kind of, of of a previous era, but I would say the one that we see today was really just getting going. And so it's an exciting opportunity to see where there was an opportunity to do a lot of conservation work, because I think a lot of the, the forest climate and forest carbon space is a 
sort of a conservation active working forest environment. Um, and so that's how I ended up where I am today. I, I spent a few years doing carbon project development for uh, the Legacy Blue Source company. Uh, then I went to work for a forest landowner uh, managing carbon on their properties. And, and now I am where I am today, sort of at the amalgamation of those two, which I'll, I'll get into a little bit when I describe our, my, our current company. For sure, for sure, and 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 I'm just curious to know because again, I, when I looked at your background on LinkedIn, I also noted you're like the captain of an an ultimate team. So I I think I started panting right away because I think I've played ultimate once, and I don't think I made it five minutes sprinting. So I don't know how you elite athletes are able to run and sprint back and forth all over the place. But hey, if we're I, I guess I'll be the one eaten by a bear if we're ever in the 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 woods, and you'll probably outrun or out sprint me going forward with your your athletic <laughs> skills there um but I, I played I played in college but Kevin I'm an old lady now and I, I don't want to blow out my knees because I still have to tromp around in the woods so I don't play as much as I used to yeah I I hear you I I laugh at that because we all say we're like old now and yet if you see us on screen we're like we're not that old but still some things don't work quite as well as when we're uh we're, we're young. So definitely want to get into the the new side of the business and learn more about that and some of the amalgamations. Um, but I'll maybe jump over to Zach. So Zach, I know you 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 studied forestry and you worked in, in you know, more traditional space. You worked for RMS, Resource Management Service at one point. Um, tell, maybe share with us your journey on how you, you came to be where you are. Yeah, so like you said, I uh, I started out at Mississippi State University. I got my bachelor's of forestry there, and uh, had a very uh, a very industrial timber centric education. Um, during my time there, I uh, I took the extra effort and I got my GIS certificate because that's that's always what's kind of been interesting to me. Um, you know, my father um, all growing up, he worked in the geospatial space, and so I was always around this and. Um, just that 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 mindset, that thinking really resonates with me. I, I think of everything in terms of like, you know, where is it? What spatially? Uh, let's look at it on a map. Um, during road trips, I was the kid in the back, like following us on the highways on the paper maps. Um, you ask some people what a paper map is, they might not even know anymore. But uh, uh, that was me. And uh, um, like most people. Uh, what draws you to the forestry space is just that longing to be outside, to uh, um, to be directly interacting with that, and uh, in the case of what we're doing now, also kind of conserve that and uh, and turn that into to meaningful action. Um, and so, like, I found this little niche at the the intersection of this forestry and geospatial, and I've I've kind of stuck there ever since. I uh, I was blessed to have someone kind of take a chance on me. I got my my foot in the door with an internship at a, uh, a timber company here in the U.S. Southeast, and uh, I've kind of gone with it ever since, kind of bouncing from place to place, uh, constantly learning, constantly picking up uh, nuggets of wisdom, and uh, that's where I've kind of come here uh, to Blue Blue Source Sustainable Forestry Company, uh, a new climate. Um, you know, I've been at all these these industrial timber companies where they've got these really robust very well-developed systems and processes that drive the companies forward. Um, and that's the kind of the challenge I was presented with is, you know, let's take that and let's apply that to the mission here at Anew and let's, uh, let's, let's drive some, some meaningful climate impact. So sure. that's, that's what excites me. 
Yeah, very cool. So so typically on this podcast, I call people uh, digital foresters. But when I looked at at some background materials I prepped, I came across this term. And Kiki, I think you're, you're looking to fill this position, but it was a carbon forester. So now I'm like scratching my head. So I'm going to ask you, Zach, like, are you like a carbon forester now? Or are you like a digital forester? Or are you a forester? Or you're all of the above. It doesn't matter. It's red, pink, blue, purple, whatever it is. You're a forester, true to heart. It's just you're still following this tenants, the basic tenants of uh, sustainable forest management and and doing your job as a forester. What are your what are your thoughts on that? How would you describe yourself today? You know, Kevin, I think that's kind of funny because I would say like I think every forester is a carbon forester. Like it's just it's a part of it. Um, every if you're managing the forest correctly, like there's there's intrinsic carbon benefits. Uh, I mean, specifically to like our job posting and everything, we're looking for for someone who's who's very technologically savvy and, you know, they know their way around the current protocols and the different registries and stuff like that. But um, forestry and, and carbon forestry are just, it's, they're one and the same thing. For sure. For sure. I feel like I got to, I need to make you a t-shirt that says the digital forester on the front and then carbon forester on the back or, or some remnants of that. We'll have some fun with that. So, so maybe I'll, I'll come back to Keiki and, and, and ask you, I feel like I got to, uh, you know, get a notepad out or or I'm going to earn my second PhD here as you explain it. But blue source, a new element markets, there's all sorts of other players, um, you know, looking at my, my research, you know, I think 1996 blue sources, that's when its first transaction took place. And this is just coming from the website, you know, 200 plus projects, a billion in capital raise, you know, 170 million tons reduction created. Um, but maybe if you could walk us through what I, I believe it's called the new now, and you and you correct me if I'm wrong if I'm if I'm not using the right terms. Um, but what is the company now, and maybe give us uh, some background in terms of uh, Zach's mentioned the mission. But but what is the mission of a new, and and what 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 changes are you trying to affect? Absolutely, yeah. There's there's a lot of moving pieces, um, but it's pretty cool the journey that we've come along. So. Legacy Blue Source uh, was a leader in the environmental market space, as you sort of learned about for you know 25 years, and where we we have really excelled and been a, a really strong leader in the past 10 to 15 years is in the uh, the forestry space and forest carbon markets. Uh, we were very early uh, participants in developing projects in the California Compliance Program and the modern day. Uh, voluntary improved forest management projects for uh, the the Northeast um, and North America. So we, we, you know, Blue Source worked with developing projects for a number of landowners for many years. Uh, everything from your timberland investment management organizations, your large industrial timberland owners, family forests, uh, nonprofit groups like the Nature Conservancy and Audubon. Uh, we've worked with tribes and tribal corporations, and really throughout that whole process, you know, over many years of developing projects with all these landowners and seeing the market grow, interest from, you know, corporate entities looking to participate in the voluntary market, and seeing that growth over the last few years in particular, I think, uh, you know, we saw this opportunity to do more than just help develop projects, but be a landowner ourselves and you know really optimize the carbon value uh on the you know acre by acre
basis. And there's always so much you can do uh, from the developer lens when you're working with other landowners to direct their, their management directives. And we wanted to kind of be there at the ground. So in September of uh, last year, we raised capital through a partnership with Oak Hill Advisors uh, around, uh, it was half a billion dollars to start acquiring lands of our own and manage them, you know, with the primary directive of, of optimizing the climate benefit and uh, you know, carbon value from those forests. So uh, we were with Legacy Blue Source at the time, partnership between them and Oak Hill Advisors and started acquiring lands uh, for the purpose of carbon management, uh, working forests, working forest carbon management uh, projects. And then in spring of this year, in 2022, Blue Source was acquired by TPG Rise, uh, their impact climate impact fund, and was then at the time merged with Element Markets who had been acquired by TPG the year prior. So Blue Source and Element Markets became a new climate together, bringing together not just you know the forestry kind of nature-based solutions piece of what Legacy Blue Source did, but a bunch of other environmental market services as well. So um, pretty much anything in, in the environmental market space, uh, you name it, they do it uh, with the idea of, of being climate as a service. So beyond just developing projects in kind of one niche or, or helping one space, I think, you know, a new climate's mission is becoming climate as a service, you know, across all levels of need there to try and address the, the real climate problem that we're facing these days. Um, and where we fit into that, uh, you know, we're, we are a subsidiary of a new climate, um, still with our Oak Hill Advisors Group, uh, you know, focused on the, the process of acquiring forests and uh, optimizing our climate impact through our management practices, developing carbon projects as a part of that. Um, and then uh, just this fall, so the, then the latest development in our growth, uh, a few months ago, we, uh, as a part of our land acquisition sort of efforts, we raised some additional capital and purchased the Forest Land Group, which is a very well-known Timberland investment management organization in the space. The Forest Land Group, or TFG, had been around for almost 25 years as well, with the idea of focusing on hardwood timber assets. Uh, and traditionally, they had sustainable forest management as their directive, but really with timber as the primary driver of revenue. And this you know, presents us a great opportunity because now these lands with a very different uh, investor class focused on climate and uh, kind of environmental outcomes, we're now going to be able to take uh, our new 1.7 million acres of forest land as a part of that acquisition and be able to, to add that to our existing portfolio and manage uh, a huge amount of land for, for climate impact. And you know, when you when you asked me in the beginning about why I got into this space, I think the private sector conservation space just has a huge opportunity for really massive scale of impact. And this is a great example of how markets directly influence the acquisition that we just made and have allowed us to, I think, you know, make a really huge impact. And, and we're starting to implement that now through hopefully be able to talk about some of the systems and technologies that we're using to do that. Absolutely. So that was a lot. Um, we're a new climate. You know, we have a, a several partners in that process. And, you know, but for our purposes of our conversation, you know, this group today, we're the sort of forest land ownership arm uh, with the idea of managing for carbon. 
Yeah, for sure. No, thanks. Thanks for that 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 overview. And as as maybe some might be scratching their heads, if you if you kind of dial it back and listen to it again, it it does make sense. There's a couple players that have come together, and 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 it's and and it's a serious entity. Like with with the acquisition um, last fall um, or this fall, I should say. Um, you know, you're one of the top ten largest U.S. Timberland owners, right? And 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 truthfully, I'm not sure what it was, but that press release almost kind of maybe it was just me up here in in Canada, but it seemed like it squeaked across the newswire. Like there wasn't, you know, I caught it on the side and I didn't see as much fanfare. But uh, who knows what it is? Maybe it's a timing thing. But but that's a serious move. And 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 to your point, I'm fascinated having gone through environmental science as well. Never thought I'd be in forestry. Never thought I would see to your point that market influence on how powerful it can be and 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 so i'm fascinated i'm curious to see how the world unfolds so i'm going to follow up with that question that the dummies are us questions so everyone knows i'm good at asking the dummies question but i'm going to ask both of you and i'll start with with kiki with you in terms of the carbon 101 what's the nuts and bolts of you know people are listening um, to this from around the world many of them are more that tr- traditional timber harvesting side of things um obviously as foresters, as Zach pointed out, we know what carbon is, right? We understand that the relationship between biomass and, and volume. But the the from your seat, if you're talking to someone new to the space, what would be the carbon 101s in terms of maybe addressing some of the myths that people might hear? What are some of the common things you hear and 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 how would you explain around them? Sure. Yeah, I, there's a lot of ways you could go there. But I think uh, you know, some of the key topics, especially some of the relevant ones now, uh are kind of how are we generating climate impact? How is the the carbon offset that we're generating uh, legitimate? And uh, what what really even is it? So you're talking about the connection between biomass and carbon, and I think it's a good rule of thumb: about fifty percent of a tree is carbon. And so we have a lot of trees standing in our existing forests, and we can continue to let them grow, which will sequester more carbon from the atmosphere and get stored in, in you know, the woody biomass as they grow. When we cut trees that go into long-term wood products that has additional storage capacity when uh, the wood goes into things like furniture or you know, building construction material, that, that type of thing. And so the, the main project type that we focus in uh, is called improved forest management. And it's the idea that uh, we are conserving and additionally sequestering uh, carbon associated with the current stocks of forests that we have and committing those those stocks over a long period of time. So I think a lot of uh, a lot of folks struggle with the idea of a conservation credit compared to a removal credit. So people understand the idea if you let your trees grow bigger, you've sucked carbon from the atmosphere. That's you know you're removing the carbon. Uh, people understand that concept. I think where it's a little more confusing, uh, is the the sort of uh, conservation element. So if we don't commit the current carbon stocks we have across the whole property, then if markets change or we are incentivized, you know, because we are a investment uh, organization, uh, incentivized to get the most out of our investment, uh, then then we might have an aggressive harvesting scenario. There's there's plenty of companies out there whose that is their mission uh, or, or their investment directive is to op- optimize that timber resource. Um, there's plenty of areas that don't have very restrictive laws around what you can harvest. Um, and ownership changes over time. So 
is a you know a great case in point is the 1.7 million acres of forest land we just purchased could have gone to a different landowner with a very different directive. Um, and what enrolling in these carbon projects ensures is that over the project lifetime, which is intended to be you know a certain level of permanence, the number of years of which depends on which protocol you participate in, but it's meant to be you know what's considered permanent from like a a carbon cycle perspective for natural resources. Um, you know, it it ensures that those carbon stocks stay where they were, um, and that that that's a piece that I think is commonly misunderstood, but is something that you know those deep in the timber industry know when you know when prices increase on specialty products, people can sure get in there and cut wood, and land use change is also a huge pressure in certain regions, and um, you know the carbon that's standing today is is definitely not guaranteed by any measure. So what we're doing is helping ensure that. And through our sustainable forestry practices, we, we still plan to, you know, in, enhance the ecological value of our forests, you know, do salvage logging where it's necessary for ecosystem health. Um, and in some cases where there's niche markets do some harvesting, but we, we intend to let our carbon stocks grow over time on our total ownership. And so we're going to have, you know, a little bit of change of practice on some of the lands we purchase, uh, as well as a, you know, a huge kind of conservation act aspect, which is different than preservation because we're still out there working the woods. But um, that's that's kind of the direction we're going with our with our forest carbon uh, work. For sure, very cool, and that's a great clarification that it's not like you acquired the lands and then just kind of set them and forget them. Like they're being managed and and optimized, uh, if that's the right word. But I also love the the, the distinction you've made between preservation and conservation, because I think back to my undergrad in Viroci class, and I can't remember the professor's name, but it was beaten into us that they are different. They're not one one and the 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 same, and we have to tread carefully when we use those terms, and maybe those get blurred. Um, yeah, and both are important, right. right? They're all pieces of this big puzzle, and that's how we kind of fit into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Zach, I'm going to turn that question to you as well from um, again, coming from more of that that traditional timber space, and if you're to bump into some of your 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 forestry buddies, uh, you know, at a at a pizza bar maybe late at night with a cold one in hand, I'm winking. Uh, how would you, how would you describe the work you're doing in in carbon now? The carbon 101 spiel you'd give to to give to to your buds, Kevin, it's like you're almost there with me at that uh, that late night pizza bar. <laughs> um, uh, well. I, I would say, you know, leaning on my prior experiences, I, I know better than anyone about, um, you know, when you purchase a piece of property and what can happen to any individual set of trees, you know, we purchase that in, uh, in a traditional timber uh, management space, you know, we're going to optimize that for as much revenue as we can pull off of that. And everything else is just, uh, it's, it's kind of a background, like there's, there's ecosystem services, there's wildlife, there's there's all these other things that are tied in implicitly, but that timber forward strategy is, is, you know, is what's guiding the whole ship forward. And where we're different is that, you know, we're giving a carbon a seat at the table. And actually I'll, I'll even add to that, like carbon is at the head of our table and driving everything that we do. Um, that's not to say that um, we aren't looking at all those other other revenues um, in addition to that, but um, we 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 keep that forward in what we do. And what's cool and what interests me is, you know, 
that 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 line of thinking is represented even down to the systems that we build out. Um, you know, we've got the very unique challenge of yes, we've got to keep up with these carbon inventories to 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 run the program and and know how many credits we're generating. We also need to keep up with a pretty pretty robust uh, merchantable timber inventory just so we can we can make those spot management decisions. Um, and in addition to that, um, we also want to keep up with all the tons of other ancillary data so that we can keep up with our our miles of streams. You know, let's keep up with um, just everything. You know, all of our our high conservation value forests. Um, uh, you know, we want to know where every single endangered animal out there is. All of those things we want to keep up with and bake that into our systems and and what we do. Yeah, very cool. And and so so it's almost like we're we're the three of us were kind of lining lining each other up for the the next segment of the conversation. See, so perfectly. And that's an unintentional by the way for our listeners and viewers completely. Um this is all unscripted as as uh, as, as the norm for the Digital Forester podcast. But you mentioned systems and and even when I look at like your website and, and the project map, like I was I was kind of, well, I literally said like, holy bleep, that was me doing it. But like, there's a lot of projects you guys have. And I know you're representing the the forestry side or the forest land side of it for, for this call, but there's a lot of at play there. So when you talk about systems, Zach, maybe describe to us what that means for uh, a new, is this... Uh, homegrown tech? Is this some COTS? Is this some mix? Is there some legacy? Is there some AI? Is there some chat GPT new stuff? Uh, you know, we can just tell it. It's like, where should I put my dollars for carbon? And then it'll come back. The AI will tell us yeah. exactly what to do. But maybe talk to us about the technologies that you're currently using. Because also, Kiki mentioned the verification component, right? We know there's a hot space with climate tech with, you know, I don't even know what next satellite is going up there. That's, you know, remote sensing methane or like the hyper hyper spectral of this and that, like it's all over the place. It's exciting, but it's, it's kind of crazy at the same time, but maybe share with us or share with me some of your thoughts around uh, where the technology is, what, what technology you're using today. And this is, you're going to have me nerd out for an hour. If you uh, get me too far off on this, uh, this is what's so exciting is like, we are, we're a startup, uh, through and through. So we've kind of started with like, a, you know, almost a year ago now with an absolutely blank slate of how we want to build and tailor our systems precisely to what our mission is. And, uh, um, you know, using that blank slate, uh, we've kind of, we've developed a strategy of, we don't want a system that tries to do everything. We would like all the cart options and we want to pick the individual systems that best uh, that best meet the specific needs that they're made to do. You know, we, uh, what do they say? Like uh, jack of all trades, master of none. We want to pick like an, a patchwork of the best systems that do their jobs first and then two, communicate and talk well together. So uh, we could get into it, but, you know, we want to make sure that our accounting system is talking to all of our, our FIS GIS systems, which are, um, you know, are communicating with our, our transactions, acquisition, dis disposition databases, the whole nine yards. They need to be an interconnected ecosystem of data talking back and forth seamlessly. Right. And where that becomes kind of even more interesting, Kevin, is then 
how that connects to the systems that the carbon development team with Anu, who's developing our carbon projects, is is doing. So we kind of have two two different companies with two different systems that get you know put up, and they need to talk to each other too, um, so that we can maintain the best records possible and make the best decisions on the ground. Um, but the, the same data sets flow through both of our our practices. So. As Zach mentioned, we are a bit of a startup uh, within our business unit, and uh, we've been using the the technological ad advances that uh, the new climate team has has put together as well, because that's that's another kind of key communication point for us. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and definitely no issues with nerding out or geeking out on this podcast. It, it's welcome since we know there's many on who are listening, watching that are that are in that camp and proudly wear that badge. But but before I maybe come back and drill down a bit more on the the technology side, Kiki, with your seat as the the VP of Carbon Operations, and as you mentioned, like the new side having some tech, you guys in startup mode doing stuff, and it's cool to hear because obviously you're fearless, you're not worried about you know having you're looking for the best technology that that can get the job done while while working harmoniously together. But in you, in your seat of VP, I'm curious to know. Um, like the Zacks of the world are always going to come and say, I want more kick. I got to buy this. I got to do this. I'm assuming again, knowing Zach, right. We got all these tools, but, but you're in that seat where you have to make that decision and balance it against, I suspect multiple different moving parts. How do you do that? I'm curious. Uh, I suspect our listeners and viewers are probably also curious to know maybe how the brain of a VP works and some of that decision-making with so much uncertainty and, and, and so many different driving factors. Can you share maybe your, your, your thought process and how you decide how to move forward on different types uh, technology for your, your company? Sure. And I mean, we, we went through a pretty robust strategic review process uh, just in the beginning of our, our organization, uh, you know, for a while, it was just me on the operations side and trying to figure out what kind of systems do we need to set up? What do we, you know, do they need to, does it need to be this jack of all trades system? Can we have different systems that work together and, you know, some of the things I think were guiding my thought process at the time were, you know, what, what are the what are the problems we're trying to solve? Um, there's so many cool technologies out there, and not all of them necessarily need to uh, are useful for us. And while they might be useful for other folks in the forestry space, they don't necessarily solve the problems we have. So, you know, that that's just generally the mindset of what is it we need to tackle? What is our uh, what does the ideal system look like? If I could create one from scratch, what would, what would all the features of that be? And then, you know, go through the process of surveying what's out there and figuring out, you know, do it, do the current systems in the marketplace address those issues? Do we need to do some innovation on our end? Uh, do we need to partnership with somebody who might be able to kind of meet us halfway with the ideas that we need? And I think we are definitely, I think for the forestry space, the, our needs are very different, where I think we present a, definitely an evolution on the data management needs of a traditional forest land owner. And so uh, our thought process was what systems need to talk together, what is the outcome we need, uh, and how, you know, how can we do that in an efficient way? Uh, the new technologies can be cool, but also very cost expensive. So the kind of flip side of that with the startup company is, especially before we acquired very much land, having to pitch to, you know, we need a force information system to manage our data, or we need something beyond just a couple shape files to manage our geospatial uh, information, uh, you know, making the pitch for that next level, uh, when you maybe haven't grown into it yet, and being able to see 
you know, we went from one to 10. Now we're going from 10 to 100 and, you know, creating the appropriate technologies for the scale that you're at, I think is, is those are a number of things that were kind of floating around in my mind, but uh, it's definitely been a collaborative process. Um, I, I have leaned on, on experts, whether that's third-party consultant groups or hiring people like Zach, who know a lot of, not more in the weeds than I do. I know enough to be dangerous, <laughs> yeah. but not enough to be a, an expert, at least down on like the technological weeds of things. So yeah, um, sure. yeah that's yeah. kind of some of my, where, where we went with all of that. And it's still in the works really. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it's amazing. It's good. It's fantastic to hear because I love how right when you started off, it was about the how, you know, you know, or it's not the how, sorry, the what, the what are we trying to achieve? And too often people drill to the how right away and, and maybe get lost in the, the, the weeds too soon. So, so that, that's super cool. So Zach, from your seat, thinking of the, the technology side of things, you know, Kiki mentioned the shape files, you know, some, some old constructs, if we call it that, um, Coming into this space, did you have, uh, did Kiki just say, Here, here's Zach, here's my wallet, here's the corporate credit card, just go ahead and buy whatever you want. Uh, wh what are those differences between where you came from, the traditional timber company to to a new uh, blue source? You see, I didn't get tongue-tied with which one, the, the legacy blues, a new, I'm just going to say a new. Um, perfect, there we go. Uh, it only took how many hours for me to get to that point, right? Uh Absolutely. But thinking of, of, of your journey at New Zach, like what maybe what was the biggest surprise as it pertains to technology that that or caught you off guard in terms of is it as how fast and you as a startup moved and your ability to proceed forward with the use of technology or was it something else? I would say the biggest difference um, looking back and, and looking forward is definitely pace of play. Um, you know, we are we are sprinting forward. We are moving fast, um, and uh, and and constantly moving forward. Um, you know, it, when we when we need to make a decision, obviously we want to get the best heads together, and talk it out, analyze a problem, come up with a solution. But uh, we don't want to committee something to death. We don't want to talk it to death, analyze it to death. We're going to come up on a solution, and we're gonna we're gonna attack it. You know, midway through achieving that goal, we may try and reanalyze if we're even headed in the right direction, uh, make some course corrections from there, but constantly moving forward. Very that's cool. uh, that's what we're um, aiming to do. Very cool. Very cool. So thinking of the technology side, I'm going to guess, um, you know, obviously you use GIS, you've talked about some financial systems and, and, and other things, but what would be the piece of technology that surprised you the most? Is there one, I suppose, because nowadays, you know, we got that and I'm kind of kind of poking at you on the, the nerd side here. You know, we, we got buzzwords around digital twins. We've got AI, we've got, you know, backpack LIDAR, we've got an earth observation space exploding. Um, you know, Maxar went private, I think a P private equity uh, acquired Maxar. So that was a big big play on that front but from the technology side what 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 is maybe that piece of technology that that gets your your nerd on thinking beyond what you're implementing now because i suspect a news probably not that different than than some of the other companies in terms of some of the basic technologies around gis and and what they're they're using whether it's esri technology or whatever but is there um something special i guess in the secret sauce you know whether it's a cloud on-prem um, new technology developed from from the higher up part of the company or other uh, business units. Um, is there something that gets you excited? I guess is what I'm trying to think. Ask 
in the carbon space and conservation and, and forest management side of things on the technology front. Well, I, I'll say it, you mentioned on-prem versus cloud. Uh, you know, we're a fully remote company. Um, you know, we, prior to this acquisition, we had eight employees in eight different places. Um, wow. You know, there is no prem. So whatever strategies we come up with have to absolutely be cloud-based and, uh, and, and distributed and uh, work well. Um, the other thing, you know, speaking of like technologies uh, that really excite me, um, our company are as a whole, our business unit, we're putting a ton, a ton of weight into remote sensing. Um, and, uh, you know, just remote sensing uh, applications of all forms. You know, we've been hiring aggressively on some of our, our sister uh, business units and, uh, we're just we're building a very strong dugout of of employees who can do some really impressive stuff with remote sensing because you got to think of the scale we're operating. We've got 1.7, million acres. Um, you know we're we're definitely a Forrester's first company where boots on the ground are very hard to match, but we can't get boots on every piece of ground all the time. So how can we how can we gain efficiencies from looking at things from above? How can we use automation and drones to help aid us with our management decisions? Things like that. So with, with some of the work you're doing, is it mostly drone-based or would you say you're, you're full spaceborne as well in that, that, space, that Earth observation space? Is there a split in terms of how you're leveraging those technologies? Uh, yes, a split. We're, we're trending more towards space-based and uh, increasingly more on-demand uh, imagery. Um, however, we're... we're Trying to dabble in in the drones. Um, the the thing that comes with that is, you know, by the time you've got someone out there with a drone to look at your property, you've got someone on the property, and and sometimes it's good to have that that drone up above, and you know, maybe uh, maybe also get those boots on the ground underneath the canopy as well. And that's why we're very excited about some of our our partnerships and collaborations with other people in the space who can sure. help really bring insights. Sure. I think what's for exci exciting for us too about our remote sensing applications is just the number of ways it can help our business. So, you know, we we use remote sensing to help us with forest stratification to better allocate carbon stocks on different, you know, on an acre by acre basis, rather than just using sort of historically operational blocks where, you know, in between these two roads, you've got this section of forest and a forest manager might have called it. Uh, northern hardwoods, but uh, we have the ability to use our remote sensing technology with ground truthing on our on our inventory information on our on the ground plots to say, you know, on an acre by acre basis, we can have a much better sense and it doesn't necessarily have to line up with those operational blocks. So we can have a much more accurate look at, at what the forest typing is across these, you know, pretty massive uh, amounts of land. Uh, another application is from an operations perspective, we we own a lot of acres. It's hard to get boots on the ground everywhere. We can see land use change. We can use it for timber security to see if there's been conversion of forests, even at a really small level. We can track for natural disaster and climate resilience uh, over time. So there's just a lot of applications for the operational side of the business beyond just quantifying and measuring carbon that I think uh, this, this sort of same spatial layer can be applied in so many different ways that that we're trying to utilize. 
Yeah, very, very cool. Definitely. I can already visualize some of the things you guys are are doing. And that's that's super cool. So you mentioned, you know, resiliency. And, and so thinking of obviously playing in the climate space, uh, if we think of California, where you're at one point, right, the wildfires, you think of, you know, the the south there, I think that was pretty late in the season for that that hurricane to, to rip through or, or uh, again, you know, was it weather or was it climate? Um, nonetheless, it was later in the season, so we won't, we don't need to go down to the, the semantics of that, um, that debate there, but how does that factor into how you use technology and your planning and management? Like with all this, like, I feel like in your space, there's so much uncertainty. There's so many balls in the air, shiny ones, some not so shiny that you got to juggle and, 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 and balance. How does technology help you do that? Is there a certain type or is this just more back to, as you mentioned, you know, intelligent smart people doing what humans do to, to issue process and figure out the best path forward and and correct course correcting is there a, a, a secret thing to how you guys are leveraging technology to realize the success you've had well i'll let zach speak to the technology piece but i think you know just for us as our management strategy a huge piece of how our of how we are are managing for climate resilience is the sort of original technology, which is our trees, uh, having having mixed species, hardwood forests, uh, you know, naturally occurring where they are, presents a ton of resilience. So we have this uh, a great example of that is you know you mentioned the hurricane. Um, we had a Hurricane Matthew in 2018 came through our our the area where our uh, our current Florida property ownership is and. A lot of the pine plantations in that area just got completely wrecked. If you look at it in satellite imagery, it was brutal. And I think it, the timber industry really suffered in that area um, in the same way that a lot of you know fire prone regions do when those those natural disasters come through. But if you go, you know, it's now four years later, if you if you look at our bottomland hardwoods of our big cypress and tupelo trees, they're doing just fine. Snap top, that's fine. It grows back. Uh, you know, we we you don't see the wind throw, you don't see the there's just a lot of resilience in the sort of the 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 the, the true technology of just the the earth doing its thing. That you know, as much technology as we can apply to our management, I think the the trees themselves also do do a huge work in that front. So I just ha have to give a shout out to the those natural hardwood forests, uh, and then I'll Zach, you can you can talk about what we're doing to help increase that further. <laughs> well, yeah, that's funny. I, I... I love talking about that hurricane because it's right here in my backyard here yeah. in uh, Panama City, Florida. And uh, it, you said it exactly, Keiki. Uh, driving through these uplands and these these historical pine plantations and everything, you know, everything looks normal if you just tilt your head 45 degrees because all <laughs> the trees are leaned over. And then, yeah, you get back, you get down into our hardwood forest there along the, the river. And it's just, it has... It looks almost untouched. It wasn't, but it looks, it's just bounced back so hard, such resiliency there. Um, to your early, earlier question about technology, though, I think what really makes the secret sauce here at, at, at Anu is, you know, technology is great and there's going to be something that's constantly, you know, there's always going to be something new and shiny. What, what really sets us apart is just an extremely, extremely knowledgeable team. And the brains behind the computer, you know, the people sitting there making the clicks and, and making those decisions is what really sets us apart. Um, um, oftentimes with a lot of this, uh, these new technologies, 
you can almost like uh, you can have too much information. Is that a weird thing? Like as a as a data guy, that uh, it seems weird to almost say, but uh, like you can you can drown in the data lake, right? Um, and so, you know, being able to sift through that and pick out the pieces of, of technology and, and give the information that is is going to be pertinent and, and putting it to the right use, picking out the, the right stuff, that's where the difference really is. Yeah. yeah, I think the sophisticated data management piece is where where our technology, I think, is going to become the, the, the biggest, most effective. Uh, we're taking spatial data. We're taking carbon inventory data, which is sort of continuous forest inventory, remeasured same data over time. And then you have sort of merchantable timber data around, uh, you know, different strata and, and what assets you might have for different products. And being able to get those all to communicate so that we can optimize that decision on a per acre basis, it's a real challenge because as Zach said, there's, there's a lot of information. It's hard to overlay it all and connect it all because there's financial information, you know, what markets are doing well, there's biometric information, how much carbon or how much stock timber you might have in a given spot. And then there's the geospatial component of like, where is it on the ground? Um, so we're trying to put all these pieces together and uh, optimize it, right? And be able to, to, to your point earlier, Kevin, of like, I wish I could just ask my AI tool, hey, where should we <laughs> harvest these trees or where should we not harvest? And uh, it's not so simple as that. So uh, I think that's our real challenge, but also our biggest opportunity that those are the types of tools, a little bit of proprietary of like putting in pieces of different, our, you know, getting our FIS system to communicate with our geospatial system and overlaying that with all those different data sets to be able to get something that that really optimizes our investment, but also optimizes the climate outcome. For sure, for sure. And I was gonna, I was gonna ask a question of the Chat GPT about blue source, but I was kind of afraid to see what it would spit out, and and uh, and it would probably take us down a, a different rabbit hole. But but very cool. So so definitely love the the thinking there, and love the story. I'm curious to know. Maybe I'll start with Zach on this one. From a technology point of view, you know, we we're, we we dance around a couple of things, and we'll let our listeners and viewers connect the dots in terms of of what some of the things you guys are doing behind the scenes. But um, what are what are the pieces of technology maybe in the next one to three year time frame that that gets you excited or 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 beyond gets you excited, gets you really really excited? Um, that's my challenge to pull the nerd out of Zach there. But but what's that? Is there a piece of technology, or do you think? Um, it's more about, you know, what we've just talked about. It's more about data being the new oil and finding a way to really mine that data more than we currently are. Because I think there's a statistic out there. This goes back a couple of years that, that only like 4% of the data is actually, you know, really leveraged. The rest is just sitting there in a big data lake and floating around doing its la la thing. But um, from a one to three timelines, Zach, what, what, uh, what, what would, which pieces of technology would you describe that gets you really excited? In that in that near time frame, I feel like there's a lot of gains in the the AI space. I I feel like you know we're really getting to like buzzwordy territory here, but like truthfully, at its core, I think AI truly hasn't hit forestry, um, all aspects of forestry quite yet. And I think once it makes that connection, the the gains for our company and a lot of companies in the space. Are going to be immense um, because that that enables you to wade through the mess and help uh, turn data into information, information into action, um, 
you know, uh, in the little more long term, I feel like there's a lot more development that needs to go into it. I think some of our drone and remote sensing technologies are, um, you know, they're about to, they're going to blow up. And when they blow up, it's, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to allow our foresters to uh, just cover even more ground and, and, you know, be in more places at once. For sure. Are, are you suggesting that maybe there's a new space company that might come about? I, I tried to crack a joke and be funny. I got I, I got some laughs there. I'm just joking for our listeners, by the way. I was trying to play off the a new climate versus a new space, and no, probably no one's we, laughing. We've but been that's... dropping a new puns for uh, since the, <laughs> the the company was initiated. So. Yeah, there you go, there you go. And, and so maybe Kiki, on your side, thinking of less the technology side and that carbon space, and again as VP of Carbon Operations, there are there certain things that you would say gets you really excited in that. That short-term one to, well, near-term, I should say, one to three, and then maybe beyond that. Are there certain things you're keeping the, your eye on from a strategic point of view as VP? Yeah, I mean, I, I think my, my answer is definitely more boring as I'm not into like the, what's the hot new who, new tech. I think for me, it's around really, yeah, like we mentioned before, kind of lever leveraging the data that we have to make the best management decisions. Because I think a lot of that data is, is being collected. It's just a matter of putting it together in such a way where we can really make the most informed decisions. It feels like uh, every time I want to go and make a decision on, you know, my regional director comes to me to say, should we do this harvest? Uh, is that going to be the best for our management? We we have all the all the data there. It's just not been all put together yet. So in our real short term, it's developing a pretty slick optimization tool to be able to, to layer all those components together. And I think you know, for me, the, the technology that excites me most is that, uh, you know, the new folks coming into the space, everyone, you know, everyone knows how to code and make things a lot more efficient. Uh, it used to take us, you know, like three weeks in the, using the solver tool in Excel to optimize our baseline model for carbon. And now our uh, a news climate uh, carbon team has developed a, you know, pretty sophisticated code base that allows them to run model scenarios within a number of hours. And the amount of, you know, accuracy that you can get to a model by being able to run it in that, you know, that quickly as compared to taking, you know, shutting down your computer for a day or something like that. I think the, you know, yeah, being able to leverage that data more through developing code to, to kind of do the hard stuff for us, uh, I think is critical. Um, you know, you'll get me on my soapbox about like, there's this, there's a tech industry right now. And I think in, in 20 years, it won't be so much tech. Like what is tech? There's so many different things that are part of tech. Everybody's going to be using tech. And I think that, you know, that, that general concept that we can apply those technologies uh, across everything we do, I think is, is what excites me in general, but that's a, that's a more boring answer. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's great. It, it actually raises an interesting question, a follow-on question, because, you know, you touched on the people side and maybe the um, the generational side of, you know, a, a forester that I might have known 20 years ago would not be writing code. And, and Zach even said at the start, you know, he was a forester, he wants to be outside. You know, often we hear foresters say, it's like, I didn't go to school to sit behind a desk. I, I went to forestry school to be outside and, you know, make a change, make an impact. But, but to your point, the reality is that, students like people coming out it's it's you just know how to code by default like even my kids right they're coding now and they're in grade six and it's not because it's a homework assignment it's just they want their roblox or minecraft or whatever 
it is they play. I don't even know. I'm dating myself now, but they want to automate that in their game, right? I think Minecraft has come back around, Kevin. I think I know. I hear you on that one. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. But I'm curious in in terms of like your 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 scale up. You know, you said you're eight, and then now you're going to hundred, which is crazy, and it's comes with now you're gonna have an hr person probably to handle uh, all the people there but are you to, to riff off of that comment around people and the skill set um we've had other podcasts where people have said it's hard to find the right people um for even the boots on the ground let alone you know boots on the ground with coding skills are they are they unicorns i don't know but what are you two seeing in terms of the landscape are you finding the right people coming out of forestry school are they really um, you know, the jack of all trades that Zach was talking about earlier, that they're just unique people that you're 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 lucky and and find them. Is is there a people problem? Any problem's not the right people challenge or or talent um shortage or uh what are your thoughts on that, Katie? And then I'll go to Zach. I, you know, I definitely think there's challenges. I think you know, students coming out of graduate school are learning way more about carbon and environmental markets than when I was in school, uh, even though that wasn't you know too too long ago. Um, but those folks need to be trained up. And the the thing about forest management and forestry is that even if we get as as high tech as we possibly can, you cannot manage a forest a forest successfully without understanding what it's actually like on the ground. And you know, we 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 absolutely are are you know we've we've acquired employees who are you know maybe more of the like older uh, sort of uh, cohort, and I think there's an opportunity to upskill folks into new technologies. But the the sort of boots on the ground knowledge is irreplaceable in our industry, and having a, a team of staff members who have some of that experience, and that can look like a lot of different things, but that's kind of irreplaceable. So while there's a lot of folks, you know, kind of coming out fresh out of school, nothing can quite replace understanding what it's like to to know the woods as they work. And especially with hardwoods, they, those are those are slow growers and the cycle is, is a longer period of time. And so you could look at a forest and 10 years later, look at our hardwood forest and, and it may not look too much different if you're just driving by, but understanding the processes that happen there and the impact that different silvicultural techniques, you know, it, t- it takes a long time. So there's definitely a balance. Um, you know, we, we certainly, ha- we're, we're proud of a few, you know, particular unicorns on our staff, on our, in our modeling team, and people just really know how to like put a lot of that stuff together. You know, those folks who are hard to find, we, we hope they find their way over to a new, but uh, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for, for all different t- sorts of skill sets. So I think we're growing to a to a phase where we can kind of use those different skill sets and piece together where we get it all at the same place. But it's something I, I continue to think about. What what type of you know gaps do we have and what needs do we need to fill there? For sure, for sure. And Zach, what about yourself? Thinking of uh, you know being you know switching over to a new and then uh, you know as a carbon forester, uh, you know looking for other carbon foresters um, or foresters in general. But what are your thoughts on that? Do you find that there's a, a shortage of people, or 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 do you do you reiterate what uh, Kiki touched on that it, it's just tapping in the right people and and bringing them in? Uh, I- Yes. I, is there a problem with, uh, you know, with good candidates and employees? Uh, I would suggest that there's, you know, we don't have an employee problem. We've got like a mentorship problem. And mm-hmm. let's, uh, you know, instead of looking for unicorns, let's look for the people who are, you know, in a position and in a place where they're ready to learn and grow. And let's p- put those people, you know, you said it, Keiki, uh, here on our team, we've got tons 
tons of institutional knowledge, historical knowledge of our land base. Let's put those people together and grow the candidates. Let's grow the, the people we want on our team. For sure. For sure. Very good point. So as we look to wind down, um, final questions to to each of you. I'll start with Zach and then come back to Kiki. Um, you know, Zach, if you were to look back on your younger days, you know, as you're training as a more traditional forester, going into those uh, those timber companies, if you're to look back, what would be that one uh, pearl of wisdom you talk about mentorship? What how would you mentor as younger Zach if you were to impart one 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 thing to to that version of you? Is there something? Uh, I, I would probably just, uh, suggest listen more, uh, talk less, ask plenty of questions and, uh, be a sponge. Um, love it. Love it. Always Excellent. be willing to learn. Always for be sure. willing to learn. Be a lifelong learner for sure. And Kiki, how about yourself? It's hard to argue with great advice like that. Uh, you know, from Zach, I, I, I know, I think something I did a lot when I was young and I still do is just ask a ton of questions when, we work in all different regions of the country. Silviculture and forest management practices are very different across there. So just taking every opportunity I can get to ask questions, I feel like is, you know, that's something I'd continue to encourage everyone to do, no matter whether you're young or old. Um, you know, I, I, I also think just, uh, you know, continuous self-reflection. I think it's easy for us to feel like we know a lot. Um, when you get to a certain level in your career, you can feel like you're an expert in something. And I try never to feel too much like I'm an expert on anything um, and just try to constantly reflect where do I have gaps in my knowledge or the things that I could learn more about, um, even if it's not something I particularly enjoy learning about. I thought about that when I went to grad school, like didn't have much of a finance background. So I tried to get more of that, even though it wasn't, you know, I, I enjoyed nature more. So, you know, just always trying to self-reflect and, and constant look for constant improvement, no matter where you are in your career. For sure, for sure. Great two pieces of uh, advice or, or or thoughts there. So, hey, so folks want to get a hold of you to follow up on anything we've talked about on this podcast. Uh, Kiki, Zach, what's the best way? Is it a website? Is it LinkedIn? Is there an email you want to share? Or, or what's the what's the best way to grab a hold of you, Kiki? Uh, you can definitely find me and our organization on LinkedIn. You can definitely find us on our on our company website, anewclimate.com. Um, you know, if you've got burning questions, uh, uh, reach us at either of those places and we should be available. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, hey, I want to thank both of you so much for for joining. I I, I actually learned, uh, I was being the sponge. I love doing these podcasts because I'm the sponge kind of just soaking in. I, I love learning about the story. I love, uh, you know, hearing that continued startup mode that you you all are blazing the trail forward with. It's super cool. Looking forward to seeing where you, you all go. Um, but definitely thanks for your time and uh, looking forward to speaking or seeing you in person in the not so distant uh, future. So thanks very much for your time. Thanks so much, Kevin. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Stay warm, Kevin. Will do. <laughs>